Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page. And for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chidgy, and today I'm joined by Vic Hudson. How are you doing, Vic? I'm good, John. How are you, man? I am very well, thank you. And there's a reason I'm very well is because I am finally, after all this time, going to talk about one of my favorite uh, pastime activities. <clears throat> do you like roller coasters? I do. <laughs> I mean, I know there are people that don't, but I don't meet too many of them. Roller coasters are so much fun. And one Not of so my much problems a fan is... of the old wickety wooden, wooden style anymore, but uh, I like these new solid steel <laughs> tube constructed ones. But yeah, I like them. Yeah, and I'll say go Disney. And there's a reason for that. So... um. <laughs> So okay, let, let's just before I get into the history and everything, I just I'm just curious, what, how old were you, and what was the first roller coaster that you ever went on? Uh, uh, Putting you on the spot. I think that would be. I know you spent some time here in in the states. Have, have you ever been to a place called Kings Island in Ohio? Ah, uh, no. Okay, they've no, got one there that that's called the Beast. It's an old wooden roller coaster. I think that was it. Is it a is it a beast? Would you say? Uh it, it was certainly scary. I was I was pretty young. So how old were you? I want to say somewhere in the six to ten range, maybe. Cool. How many times did you go on it? Uh, a few. <laughs> okay. A few. If if my if my memory serves correctly, my parents took me to this amusement park. If my memory serves correctly, we rode it at least two or three times that day. And there were some other roller coasters there at the park too, but that's the one that really stood out. All right, cool. Well, my first, um... and then I've had lots of other fun ones over the years. So, but that's probably the first. Okay. So when I um. So we have the the carnival when it comes to town, the show, the local show. I think we've talked about this previously. Um, uh, and they would have the uh, the bolt together rides, and they're not exactly like a roller coaster. They sort of are, but it's like one little carriage. Yeah. Like one person sits in it, maybe two. You know, and it sort of goes around this very compact track, and it doesn't go very high. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, you probably you know the what sort of one I mean. It's not. It is sort of a roller coaster, yeah. but it's portable, so it can't be that big and it can't be that fast. And yeah, it's yeah. Be, yeah. My parents never would let me ride those because they didn't trust the uh, the carnies that did the assembly and disassembly. Exactly, <laughs> that was exactly what my mum said. So yeah, I actually I saw those, but never went on them. But the first roller coaster I ever saw, keeping keeping in mind that I'm you know quote unquote a country boy, if you can consider Rockhampton a country town, some people do, some people don't. Uh, 65,000 people, I don't think it qualifies as being a country town, you know, like Barcaldon that has, you know, a population of about 1,000, that qualifies as a country town. And even then, I'm sure that someone from, I don't know, gosh, Charleville, <laughs> that has like a population of 350, was so now that's really a country town. And then, 
someone from, oh, geez, I don't know, Birdsville that has a population of 100 and say, no, that's not really a country town. Anyway, you get, never mind. Everything's relative, isn't it? So, all right. Mm-hmm. Okay, back with me again. I went on one of my tangents there. The World Expo uh, in 1988 was the first time I ever left uh, Rockhampton for any significant distance. I mean, I'd been to Gladstone. I'd been out to um, uh, Mount Morgan. I'd been up to Mackay. Actually, had I been? No, I went to Marlborough. And I went, obviously, to Yapunimi Park on the coast. So I hadn't been more than about a 100-mile radius from my hometown. So the first time I ever came to Brisbane was for where I now live. Um, was for the expo in 1988 and there was a roller coaster there and it was called the titan and i looked at it and i really Mm -hmm. really really wanted to go on it unfortunately when i was on that trip i was in grade seven or seventh grade and at that point i was there as a school group for a week and we were going to the world expo and it was um so we we had what we call glue buddies we were basically just like it was the buddy system right (laughs) so you had to stay stuck with your with your buddy and I had enough money to buy a ride pass and the ride pass had uh, three colors. It was like a red or an A, I think it was. And uh, that was the top of the line, you know, thrill ride. So we had a choice of the ghost train uh, thingy, scary ride or an actual roller coaster for the first time in my life. And I'm like, I want to go on the roller coaster. I want to go on the roller coaster, but I couldn't leave my buddy. And he said, I don't want to go on a roller coaster. Roller coasters are dumb. And I'm like... Seriously. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah, what's the matter with you? I was not impressed. So it's time for new friends. So you know what I <laughs> So you know what I did, of course, being the uh, the awesome, absolutely awesome and obedient person that I was, I said, Right, um, I'm going. See ya. And I had I I kid you not, I had yeah. taken three steps away from him and one of the damn teachers spotted me. I hope you're not leaving your glue buddy. And I'm no. like <sighs> guess I'm not anymore. (laughs) And so I went on the stupid, boring, tedious, ghost, scary ride that was completely not scary and said goodbye to my red You didn't take him hostage and make him ride it with you? No, I was just, no. I'm going to go back in time and do that. Anyway, it's fine. It's really, I'm fine. I'm over it, really. How long ago was that? God, I'm still pissed. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. But the first actual... It sounds like you're hanging on to it a little. Nah, it's perfectly healthy. <laughs> the first actual roller coaster I ever went on was at a place called Dreamworld. And that's Dreamworld's still running, but this particular roller coaster was dismantled about 10 years ago. And it was called the Thunderbolt. And uh, the Thunderbolt was the only uh, roller coaster in the Southern Hemisphere that had a double loop. Um, so that was its claim to fame anyway. It's been decommissioned for about a decade now anyway. Now, where I live, I'm really lucky because there's actually four major theme parks within an hour's drive of where I live. So the first one is a water park called Wet and Wild. And it sort of has, you know, those crossover rides that's kind of half like a roller coaster, but half a water ride. So it has a few of those. Uh huh. And the next one is SeaWorld. And no, not the one in San Diego. It's the Aussie knockoff, which is <laughs> having been to SeaWorld in San Diego just is not as good. I'm sorry. It just, it just isn't as good as the one in San Diego. Um, Dreamworld, the aforementioned Dreamworld, which is one of my personal favorites, it also has an attached water park that comes under the same banner. They call it White Water World. But uh, in any case, it's just Dreamworld to me. And then, of course, Movie World, which is, in terms of roller coasters, my favorite. So anyway, 
So I wear sport for choice where I live. So lucky me. Anyway, and uh, so I just, I love roller coasters. So, all right, without further ado, a bit of history. So, person by the name of Lamarcus Adna Thompson holds the first patent. That was dated January of 1885. Uh, predating that, though, uh, that was the first patent for a, a, what we understand today as a roller coaster. But predating that, the Russians actually were the first who uh, built up ice hills. And these ice hills, uh, they, they called them Russian mountains. Uh, well, that's what they were, they were called anyway, sort of after the fact. They're about 24 meters or 80 feet tall. Uh, and well, the recorded ones were maybe they were higher, but those are the recorded ones. And people would climb to the top and slide down on blocks of ice. That was in about the 1600s. So going back a few hundred years there. There was also a debate that the French were actually the first to build what we think of as the modern roller coaster, like a wooden coaster. And it was inspired by the Russian mountains, but the actual cars were secured to a track. And uh, in 1817, mm-hmm. there was one that was even called uh, Le Montage Russes à Belleville, which is um, loosely translated as the Russian mountains of Belleville. So anyway, getting back to uh, Mr. Thompson, uh, Thompson actually uh, bought, built something called the, uh, he called it the Switchback Railway at uh, Coney Island, and that was in, uh, in Brooklyn. That was in 1884. And it was 100 meter, 180 meters long, which is 600 feet long, but it was dual track. And if you can imagine one end of each end of the dual track was up high and the other end was down low. So you'd start at the top and ride down to the mm-hmm. bottom. And the carriage then was winched yep. from the bottom at the destination end back to the top, switched to the other track, and then you'd ride back on the other direction. So the ride was completely done under gravity and the lifting was uh, via a winch mechanism. So uh, the return trip was not contiguous. So it was like a uni. It was a bi-directional coaster, but you had to intervene to make it go back to where it started. So that was the first, um, the first uh, full tr- full circuit roller coaster, which is what we typically have today with a lift hill. Uh, was one called the Gravity uh, Gla- Gravity Pleasure Road, <laughs> and that was built by uh, Philip Hinkle the following year. So the one-upmanship, of course, that often happens back and forth between designers, went on for years until the Great Depression in 1927. And at that point, no one had any money left. The the patronage dropped. People just didn't have money to spend on frivolous things like a thrill ride. So it sort of faded from from public anything and, yeah, no one really cared anymore. So that period of time, roughly from 1880 through to 1930-ish, was sort of widely regarded as the first golden age of roller coasters. And that first age was divined... Uh, by the wooden coaster. So no steel coasters yet, although the running tracks uh, were made out of steel, they weren't uh, what we think of as a steel coaster. And that steel coaster revolution actually started in 1959. And it was actually an invention uh, from Disneyland. Uh, the ride itself, the first ride to feature this was called the uh, the Matterhorn uh, bobsleds. But the, the the funniest thing is, as is often the case, is that it took a f- it took actually took nearly a decade uh, before lots of other places started to replicate that design and realise just how how far they could push the steel design framework. So it wasn't really until the seventies that they considered that the uh, the second golden age of roller coasters began, and we're still I think widely regarded to be in that um, 
second golden age, if you'd like. So that's a little bit of the history, but we talk about wooden and steel coasters. So the different types. So wooden, initially I sort of found that distinction to be a bit odd, you know, because even though a wooden roller coaster uh, is, well, they call it a wooden coaster, it still uses steel running wheels, you know, and and it mm-hmm. still uses a steel uh, train track style of tracks, you know. It's just that the frame, yeah. the car and the substructure were typically made from wood. So what makes something a steel coaster, those are the ones that use steel for the structure, steel for the cars, steel tubing for the tracks rather than traditional train mm-hmm. track style. So, you know, like if you did a cross section, if you cut a piece of train track, um, you know, in half, it sort of looks like the letter I, like the the profile. Mm-hmm. So they, that's what they refer to in civil engineering as an I-beam. So it's really an I-beam where the top has been rolled narrower and slightly thicker to give it more strength. So uh, that sort of a style of coaster is is what you would use for wood for that sort of track. But on steel, you would use a tube. And that's, you know, again, was Disneyland's concept way back in 1959. So anyway, roller, that's breaking the word down for a second. So roller is based on the idea that the carriage that people sits in rolls and coaster is based on the idea that the carriage proceeds through the circuit under its own, under kinetic energy. So it coasts along. Mm-hmm. So, okay, basic... Sounds very literal. Is, Imagine that. Well, it's one of those one of those names that actually makes perfect sense, which is unusual, but good. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Basic physics, right? We lift the, a moving body in height. It then has potential energy. Since the force of gravity exerts potential on that body that we've that we've increased its height from away from the center of gravity uh, which is this this case the, the center of the earth the conversion of that potential energy into motion is called the body's kinetic energy so the only thing that stops mm-hmm. kinetic energy are friction losses and you'll get friction loss from air which is what people generally call drag and of course the rolling rolling resistance mm-hmm. so your bearings the wheel contact um, with the track and any misalignments thereof. So any roller coaster that's continuously powered is therefore technically not a roller coaster. And any ride that contains multiple stages with coaster elements is technically also not a roller coaster either. So you know how I said before, like the water park rides where, you know, you've got uh, a thing where you float around a bit, then you might go up a little lift hill and then you roller coaster down the other side. Mm-hmm. That's technically not a roller coaster either because it's a combination. Yeah. So, and I think that in the designer's uh, quest to make it every ride just a little bit different, you know, it's like, oh, you got to try blah, 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 ride at Six Flags, Magic Mountain, and whatever state because it's got a slightly different tunnely bit that's got water. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. That's, mm-hmm. that's so different. Anyway, in their quest to make it just that little bit different and special and unique, um, they kind of got rid of the whole idea of just a roller coaster for the sake of being a roller coaster, and they added all this other stuff. So you can't really call those roller coasters and be technically accurate anymore. So the more modern terminology is thrill ride. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, it's no longer just uh, a, like there's – uh, there's very few places left in the world where the amusement park is entirely roller coasters. You know, there's a few of them 
like I think Cedar Point um, yeah. in Sandusky, Ohio is one of them. There's a few of them that are just roller coasters. But technically now they just refer to them as like uh, either theme parks or amusement parks. So And, and mm-hmm. the rides in them are thrill rides. And a lot of the uh, amusement parks now sort of rate their thrill rides about based on their intensity. Yep. I've always found it to be a bit fluffy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, how do you describe the intensenessness <laughs> of your roller coaster? Well, it, 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 it's, it's such a relative thing because what's really intense for one person might be kind of meh yeah, for exactly. somebody else. I mean, let's say you're a fighter pilot, right? And you're used to pulling like seven or eight Gs in a, you know, in a loop-de-loop or whatever the hell or a barrel roll or whatever the hell you do. Yeah. They're all. You might be having a heart attack, and he's just yeah, getting warmed you'd up. Be there, you'd be there, clutching at your chest, and he'd be like, "What's your problem, man? <laughs> you feeling okay over there, buddy?" <laughs> so you know, but yeah, exactly right. It's, just, it's everything's relative, and it's it's kind of like the way they rate, um, like uh, ski hills too, right? Like, oh, that's a that's a quad black diamond think i'm not a skier that was a bad example to draw well not really i guess it's similar but i just don't know enough about it so it's like a blue diamond quad double blind barrel i think i think you should stop okay (laughs) yes (laughs) let's stick with roller coasters uh let's just do that Indeed. indeed very good so uh more on modern coaster design features so the cars in a modern coaster are actually, um, because you have multiple cars or carriages, they refer to that as a train. So it's not no different really uh-huh. to a train on the train tracks, really, uh, except it carries a hell of a lot less people. And unlike a train, it doesn't get you to a destination. It just takes you back to where you started, which if you think about it, it's really kind of crazy. No, never mind that. Okay, so... The modern coasters design features, talking about steel coasters because wooden coasters are like, mm, yeah, I know. They're kind of terrifying in different ways because you think they're going to fall apart. But I'm more interested in the steel coasters. So let's talk about them. So you've got um, the primary running wheels, sometimes called traction wheels. So these are the very large diameter wheels and they carry the weight of the carriage under its maximum load. And that maximum load can be quite a bit. It can be like 6 Gs, you know, for some of these extreme coasters. And yeah, when I say when I say geez, right? It's like we're standing on gravity. We're standing on Yeah. I get it. But for the listeners, okay. When you're standing at ground level, uh, gravity pulls you down the force of one G. So six times that. That's how much you feel on some of these rides. So you your body if your if your body if you weigh two hundred pounds How much it's gonna peel your face back. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yes. So if you feel your face getting sucked back, <clears throat> then you know it's good G's. Anyway, so if you weigh two hundred pounds and um, you're experiencing six G's, it feels like you actually weigh twelve hundred pounds. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, the next kind of wheels, sticking to wheels, um, is uh, are the upstop uh, wheels, which is a really crazy name. Some people call them under friction wheels. But these are the ones that clamp over the top of the rail. So they're directly opposite the running Mm -hmm. wheels. So imagine you've got running wheels. uh, So the carriage sits on the track with the running wheels underneath. Mm -hmm. So there's a clamp that goes around either the outside or the inside like a steel clamp. And the the upstop wheels actually come in underneath. So they're directly in line. They're Mm -hmm. directly opposite each other. And they essentially clamp the carriage firmly to the track. And they're usually the smallest set of wheels because they're usually not in contact with the track. 
they're only there so that when it goes up and over and you get start getting negative Gs where you're starting to, to fly off and just fly off the tracks that they stop it from flying off the tracks. And hopefully your harness stops you from flying off out of the carriage. That's a bad result if that happens. For those good fun barrel yeah, rolls. Or, yeah, exactly. Barrel rolls or if you've got like a slow section where you go upside down for any reason. So the third kind of wheels are side friction wheels. And these ones I, you know, I always find interesting because the thing is that if you've got two tracks and you've got upstop wheels and you've got running wheels, what stops the carriage from shifting too much to the left or right? Because, well, if it does, then you're going to lose contact with the track. So these are what the side friction wheels are there for. They keep it centered precisely between the each of the track, each of the physical tubes. So these three sets of wheels, and usually they're in pairs, so you won't just have like one running wheel and then have one uh, upstop wheel and one side friction wheel. You'll usually have two for balance. So each of those will form mm-hmm. like that that group uh, and uh, that clamping arrangement, uh, they call that a wheel assembly. So there's usually six wheels in an individual wheel assembly. And there are four wheel assemblies usually per carriage because most carriage uh, most carriages are an, uh, an individual unit. So you'll have, you know, two at the front and two at the back. So you have two assemblies. So that's anywhere between four to 10 carriages in a train, depending on the design. That's a lot of wheels. Anyway. So with wheels, there's two predominant materials that they use for the wheels. First one's nylon, and that's a hard plastic, but it's got really, really good wear characteristics. But the problem with them is because they're hard, they don't absorb any irregularities in the track. So that makes them more prone to vibration. And it means the passengers get a yeah. much rougher ride. Sometimes that's what you want. Other times it's not what you want because, you know, people can actually get heavily bruised if the if it's too um, rough. And then people tend to complain mm-hmm. and blah, 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 cry, 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 world smalls violin. But never mind that. Other- yeah, some of those coasters will beat you to death. <laughs> some of those coasters are pretty extreme. Um, yeah. But if you want to have a nice softer approach, you go with a softer plastic like polyurethane. And that causes less wear on the track. It provides a much smoother ride. But the problem with that is, of course, softer compound means it wears out more quickly, so it needs more regular replacement, and that gets expensive. So some some uh, roller coaster designs, they'll actually mix and match. So some of the wheels, like the upstops and the side frictions, will be... The polyurethane's quieter on the track, yes, too, it? it is, yes. Much, much quieter. Yeah. So I remember we had a, a ride here that was originally called the Corkscrew. That was at SeaWorld, and they changed its name recently and called it the Sea Viper. It's exactly the same coaster, okay? But anyway, never mind. <laughs> so anyway, and uh, then I think they shut it. So that was that. They're not no, fooling they're not you. Fooling me for a second. Ah, whatever. Anyway, and it was really, really, really smooth. And I always wondered why. And then I did my research and figured out, oh, that's why. There you go. It's because they use polyurethane wheels on it. Anyway, all right. So I found this really cool website, and it's not Wikipedia. It's Coasterpedia. There's a link in the show notes. Coasterpedia. I'm going to have to visit that. Yes. So Coasterpedia. Now, Coasterpedia um, lists all of the uh, G-forces for all the different roller coasters that have been submitted from around the world. You know, pictures, track details, all sorts of stuff like that. Anyway, and the most interesting statistic that I found was the uh, maximum G-forces 
and the maximum g-force of any roller coaster in its database in the world is the Tower of Terror, and that's in Joburg. Uh, that's what the locals call it. Everyone else in the world calls it Johannesburg. That's in South Africa. 6.3 Gs in the Tower of Terror. So, yeah. My favorite uh, local roller coaster is in the list. It's the Superman Escape at Movie World that I mentioned, and that's in the Gold Coast, and it has a peak of 4.2 Gs. Now, the 0 to 100 time is also mm-hmm. another measure. Uh, 0 to 0 to 100 kilometers an hour, 0 to 60 miles an hour. Uh, and on that particular one, it's two seconds, which is, you know, like Formula One, NASCAR, not NASCAR, uh, Formula One or IndyCar sort of acceleration speeds, like 1.8, uh, 1.8, 1.9 seconds is pretty typical, right? So it's pretty fast. Um, the launch mechanism on it is a tire drive. And the overall ride time is like a minute and 40 seconds. But the first minute is the setup before the launch. So it's like a meandering through a bunch of tunnels and Superman telling you he's going to get you out of there Superman fast. And it's like, oh, really? (laughs) Superman, oh, my God. And that's it. Anyway, so the last like 40 seconds is really the the best part of the ride. So one of the other little um, uh, features of that database is I had to look for the fastest uh, roller coaster in the world. It's actually currently uh, one called Formula Rossa or Rosa, probably. And mm-hmm. that's at Ferrari World. No surprises there. And that's in Abu Dhabi. Top speed on that 149 miles per hour. That's its top speed. Yikes. That's fast. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, a couple other little interesting things about roller coasters. Um, the effect of a wet track. And the thing is that um, when they design a roller coaster, it has what they call a uh, cycle time. And the cycle time is how long it takes to unload the coaster, load the coaster, and then mm-hmm. do a circuit and basically complete yeah, the exactly, wash, rinse, and repeat. Things can get more complicated if you've got like more than one car in the circuit. But most roller coasters that I've been on are single car. Some of them will have a second car in operation. So the idea is that you load one car, get it going, and then whilst it's doing its circuit, you then load up the second car. Or so you un you can serve another. Yeah, behind exactly. Um, and some of them have also got um, like the um, essentially a multi stages. So one block section. So let's say you might have like a pause point halfway along where if you've got multiple cars in the circuit, if it banks back, you don't enter the next section until it's safe to do so. Like you've got multiple blocks. So anyway. Um, anyway, so the effect of a wet track is that when they do these designs, they design this, the, the cars to go through the circuit in a certain period of time because the physics is the physics. So... Assuming your running wheels are operating correctly, assuming that you know, your track is dry and that you have the maximum load applied to all of them, which is, of course, the biggest problem is your maximum loads because under maximum load, so the heaviest of all of the passengers in all of the unit of all of your carriages, once you lift that up the top of the lift hill and let it go, that is going to be the maximum speed you're going to get because the heavier it is, the more momentum it's got, the faster it will go. So lighter carriages, empty carriages, mm-hmm. for example, will take the longest time to go around because there's less less momentum, less potential energy, less kinetic energy created uh, when it goes down the other side of your lift hill. So what they'll do, though, is when they start a theme park in the morning is that they will run each of them on a dry run 
and they'll do a dry run just completely unladen and they'll check the cycle times and the cycle times have to come in unladen at a, within a certain range and once they've come back repeatedly through that range you know that you've got no issues with any wheels or bearings or you know it's like everything is is happening uh, within the time period uh, that you would expect so there's no cause for concern mm-hmm. the problem with a wet track is that it reduces friction and you might think well that's well that's okay because it'll make it go faster and it's like yes. yeah no 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 no. <laughs> no too much speed is bad and the problem with that is of course that yeah. the faster you go the more strain it puts uh, on the track so it reaches mm-hmm. a point at which you can't actually safely uh, do it without flying off the track or damaging the track or just as importantly injuring one of the people on the ride so you'll find yeah. Most of these are designed with a pretty tight set of specs. Yes, they are, and they have to be because the, what they'll do when they design them is they'll they'll put test dummies in there and check all the lateral accelerations to make sure that there's going to be comfortable for passengers and so on. It's all done by a computer program these days. They can they can simulate all of that before they even build it. But the the reality is that if you wet the track, it throws a lot of that math out of the window. So you'll find most of these roller coaster parks when it rains, they will not run. Some of them might, but most of them will not run. So well, after it's rained, what they'll do is um, they'll typically send the um, the coaster out for um, for a wet lap, and that running it around actually has an effect of starting to dry it, so it breaks up any of the uh, the moisture that's accumulated on the track. And as it comes around, and they'll well, it heats the track up too. Doesn't yes, it? it does. So it'll it'll push some of the water out the way. It'll spread some of it out, disperse some of it, heat it up a little bit. It'll just basically you know pre-dried as it were but then after that um they'll they'll wait and they'll do another car around and they'll start checking the cycle time so if the cycle time unladen is safe then they will put it back into operation again so yeah not as uh, not as simple as you'd like it to be but um gotta stay safe so um i talked a little bit before about lift hills right that's not the only way to do it of course but it is by far the most common um way to do it so a lift hill of mm-hmm. course, if if for those that don't know, a lift hill is essentially you get on your roller coaster and it goes clickety clack, mm-hmm. just going down the track, <laughs> and then it goes on. Yeah, this nice suspense building. Yeah, and then <laughs> then you reach this chain lift, and the chain lift starts pulling you. So it usually connects on under the carriage if it's a if it's a sit down or stand up coaster, and uh, it just mm-hmm. gradually pulls you up this very steep incline. And you sort of get pushed back into your seat or whatever. And as you're going up, you're getting higher and higher. And it usually has a bunch of these, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for the technical name, but they are essentially a series of um, steel flaps. And the steel flaps are like, mm-hmm. a, uh, they're a safeguard. So that if the chain lets go for some reason, that the roller coaster can't actually roll backwards. And that would be a bad yeah. outcome. They also contribute to the nice suspense yes, exactly building. Yes, exactly what I was... Because as you're yes. going up, it goes chick, 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 That's chick, it. chick, chick, That's chick, chick, That's it, because it's like, <laughs> just in case you didn't think that you were, you know, going up and this is a big deal. In case you forgot where you were. <laughs> that these will remind you. And then, of course, you've got the ominous when the kicklinks finish and you get to the top of the lift hill. Kicklink, kicklink. Yeah. And you're like, uh-oh, the kicklinking stopped. <laughs> Oh man! And then, of course, there is the um, 
uh, after the lift hill comes the 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 famous uh, first drop, right? And as many a roller coaster designer will tell you, any idiot can create a ride uh, that has an amazing, mind-blowing first drop when you've got the maximum amount of kinetic energy. The trick is not having yeah. a great first drop. It's actually maintaining um, the rider's um, uh, attention during the entire duration of the ride, like making it exciting from the first moment all the way to when they get off. And uh, obviously, the biggest buzz for the ride designers is when they you, you get off the ride, you go right back to the end of the line, and you get on again. So it's kind of anyway. Getting off topic though. That's that's kind of how we did the beast that day. Ah, nice. I think I was like. So that's lift hills. I think. Okay. But yeah. So one of the things about lift hills is that that slow climb to the top, and it's like that's part of the suspense. But there's other ways of doing it, and the, another way of doing it is the Superman Escape example and the Tower of Terror example as well. We we have another one in yeah Dreamworld called the Tower of Terror, and they don't use the lift hill with the slow climb on the chain. What they will do is they will do a launch through a launch mechanism. So the launch mechanisms vary. But um, you've got counterweights mm-hmm. uh, and like a, through a catapult mechanism, through a series of counterbalances, but you also have just a standard um, tire launch. So the idea is you have a series of motors that sit just beneath the track and what they'll do is they will raise up and make contact with a series of, um, you know, like a secondary, call it a secondary connection point uh, underneath the carriages. And they connect under there. And so there's like, think of it like underneath the train, there's a two strip, there's a strip on each side, it has to be balanced. And these tires will come up and connect underneath. And then they will just spin at an extremely high speed, very high acceleration. And that is what propels the carriage forward. So that's what they do on Superman Escape. They accelerate you from zero to 100 or zero, zero to 100 k's an hour, zero to 60 k's an hour in two seconds using a tire launch. And the, the lift hill, there is no lift hill because you're not being lifted on the hill. You're being shot up the hill yeah. <laughs> by, by a launch mechanism. So that's another really cool thing um, that, that some of the rides do, which is cool. Some of them are doing some cool um, stuff with electromagnets too. Yes, there are some that do um, electromagnetic launch, which is also kind of cool. And um, the other other thing I, I had down to just quickly mention is um, we, I talk about circuit designs and so on. And uh, but this is like shuttle. Shuttle is another option. So if you have a roller coaster that goes a full circuit, it goes a full circuit. But there are other cases where it doesn't go a full circuit. It actually just goes up and back. So uh, they call that a shuttle design. So the Titan, for example, at Expo 88, the first roller coaster I ever saw up, up close, never went on it. Thanks, Glue Buddy. Um, it's still not better. Um, it, basically, it has two lift hills. So one lift hill uh, on one side. So you, you, you basically you get on a carriage in the middle of the, of the roller coaster track. And what it does is it winches you up uh, one side of a lift hill and you get to the top. And at that point, it then lets you go and you go backwards. So as you go backwards through the ride, it then goes and takes you through a couple of loops in reverse mm-hmm. and, you know, screw or uh, corkscrew or whatever else, barrel roll, like you were saying. And then whatever momentum is left g- gets you part of the way up the lift hill 
on the other side of the track. Yep. And then what they do is it grabs the carriage and pulls it the rest of the way to the top and then lets you go and you go through the same thing but in the other direction. And then eventually it lets you stop back in the middle again. So they call that like a shuttle design. So it's not actually a, a circuit or a loop. And the reason they did that at Expo 88 with the Titan was because of space restrictions mm -hmm. because Expo 88 was very long and narrow and the amusement area was was actually quite small. So it didn't have many rides and a very small. It was a very small space to work with. So that's why they do shuttle designs generally. But anyway, so the only other thing I had down on my list to talk about was um, injury risk. Some things people say to you, they say weird things like, "Oh, I'd never go on roller coasters because," and you know, all sorts of reasons. But um, one of them is, "Oh, they're dangerous." And every now and then you hear about people that get killed or injured on a roller coaster. You say, well, why would you voluntarily put yourself in that position? Well, to keep these rides safe, they have very they have very highly specialized people doing inspections and they inspect these rides every day. And in detail, they'll do them you know, periodically or once a month, once every three or six months. And they'll get the ride certified by a, a, um, a very especially qualified engineer, mechanical engineer, uh, that looks over the rides, looks for stress fractures, cracking, and you know, all that other good stuff. And as a result of the very strict safety requirements for these rides at the big theme parks, you basically have a one in one half a billion chance of being fatally injured um, at an amusement park as a whole. Mm -hmm. And the problem is splitting a statistic out like that into specifically roller coasters versus other thrill rides is it, quite difficult. But you basically get one and one half a billion chance. So pretty unlikely. You're far more likely to get hit by a bus crossing the street, um, which is you know, far, far more likely. So anyway, um, there you go. So roller coasters, what do you think? I like them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. A lot of people do. And I love them, and I've always wanted to just talk about them. I don't, I don't have a huge amount to say, but I guess my other, my other thing about roller coasters, and this is just because I'm me, and I'm a control systems engineer as well, mm -hmm. is that I'll go there and I'll be sitting on the coaster, and I'm looking at the control panel, and I'm looking at, it, and I'm looking at all the lights, mm -hmm. and I'm looking at the track, and I'm looking at the inductive, um, uh, the inductive switches and the capacitive switches, and I'm looking at the the brake pad solenoids and the, the the launch motors and and I'm like, damn it, they're using a they're doing a they're using a bloody uh, Alan Bradley panel view over there. God, jeez, I hate panel views, <laughs> you know. And, and I'm sitting there, and my wife's next to me on this one. We went on the cyclone. I'm like, oh god, I can't believe they're still using bulbs for the for the for the lights instead of LED um, indicator lamps. And she looked at me, and she's like. Can you please punch out? We're having fun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyway, um, yes. So, and uh, there's another time I actually remember I was coming off the Tower of Terror and um, the Tower of Terror is having an alignment problem with their inductive proximity switches. And what happens with that is that as the, the car, car comes back in, so the way the Tower of Terror works is you get launched um, facing backwards. Mm -hmm. And you come out of this really long tunnel, and then you go up a ninety, sorry, a, yeah, a ninety degree curve, and you, then you go straight up. So you're basically going straight up, and you're looking straight down at the ground, and you go up very, very high. And then it lets, then gravity just brings you right back down again. And as you get down, you go into the tunnel at breakneck speed, 
and it then applies the brakes and slows you down and brings you back to where you started. Yeah. Now, when that happens, there's a series of interlocks in the program that's looking for a couple of tags, like physical steel tags on the bottom of the coaster. So as the coaster comes into the park position, Mm -hmm. it says, unless my coaster is parked in this position, do not release the overhead, um, over-shoulder safety clamps over all the people in the carriage. So you try and lift those up to get out. You can't until it's fully parked in position. Seems Mm -hmm. to make sense, right? I mean, you wouldn't want people to open those up on the ride. Yeah. That would be bad. So anyway, all makes sense, right? Until your proxes are a little bit off. And what was happening is the proxes were a little bit off. And so what would happen is it would come in and the way the code was written and the proxes were off, they needed to be realigned slightly. Something had bumped them or something. And it came in to stop. And we're trying to get out. And it's like, oh, hold on, folks. We're just going to have to back you out and bring you back in again. Sometimes that just fixes the problem. And I'm like... Just fix the alignment of the procs already and and stop making it an edge trigger, you know, because you've probably got an edge trigger on that proc sensor. It shouldn't be an edge trigger. It should be like a, it should be like an off delay timer. And, and I'm sitting there going through all the things I would do in the code to fix that in the PLC yeah. for the ride. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, no, nope, it's not working, folks. We're going to have to bring you back in again. So they like reversed us out just really slowly, like inch out, inch out, inch out, and then inch back, inch back, inch back, inch back until it would actually see the the, 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 the pulse on the inductive prox to say I'm now in the parked position and let us unlock the, 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 the latches so we can actually get out of the carriages. It took them about three or four goes and we finally got out. And, I'm, and I, as I get off the ride, I'm bending my neck over to have a look at the inductive procs and my wife's grabbing my arm saying, stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Of all the things I'd love to program, I would seriously love to program a coaster. That would be so cool. It's highly specialized though, so it's sort of hard to get into it. I've heard rumors that there are some automation contractors in Southeast Queensland that have picked up um, work with the local theme parks but they've picked up work mainly because the normal contractors that they use are too busy doing other things mm-hmm. like around the world. So you'll have a bunch of these coaster programmers that just go all around the world to all the different theme parks. So, and they'll just write the code for the different, um, you know, different theme parks. Cause it's a whole bunch of like customized um, things. It's, it's, just, it's highly specific, you know, so like the different block sections and, um, the, the the launch the launch methods that they have and the, the interlocking for the position controls the releases for the overhead um, overhead um, harness I, I kept calling it that's the word I've been searching for harnesses mm-hmm. you know all that stuff is all highly specialized and it only really applies to roller coasters so I can write a control system for you know a conveyor belt but that's all conveyor belts are just conveyor belts right but but these are this is highly specialized kind of like railway signaling entirely specialized so i can't just wander up and say i'd like to program your roller coaster you can totally trust me yeah um, that's probably not yeah, no. <laughs> probably not probably wouldn't want to do that without a little bit of uh I, i'd want someone to review my work <laughs> you know <sighs> what's that stop the coaster stop it damn it it didn't stop anyway whoops never mind that <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, so um, that's all I had on roller coasters. What do you reckon? Uh, does it make you want to go on a coaster? It does. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 
Me too. I want to go back to the theme park or well, my theme park. We had annual passes and they, we let them lapse because they were getting a bit expensive. I'm like, nah, that's enough. Yeah. It, so we're going to have a break from... Yeah. Well, you got to... If you're going to do the, the pass thing, you got to really go to get your value out of it. Yeah, exactly. That was our problem is that we weren't making enough time to go. So we... we um Yeah, we kind of stopped going and, and that was unfortunately that. And um, so it came time to renew and we, we got a good deal on them like a year ago and... It's like, uh, no, nah, they're switching to monthly payments. They're jacking the price up, and we're like, I'm not interested in yeah. that. So we killed we killed that. That was that. I usually go, we might take a, a trip to the amusement park once every couple of years at the most. When I was younger, we used to go a little more frequently. Mom was a huge roller coaster fan. So cool. we, would, we would go at least every other year we would take a trip. And a lot of years we would go every year we'd take a trip over the summer. Okay. As an adult, though, I don't go quite as often. Yeah. So, like, the kids give you an excuse to go? To, um, Somewhat, like, yeah, but just, I don't know, busy life. Yeah. No, like I said, the the thing with us is that it, any one trip to a theme park can get quite expensive. It can. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not just admission. It's also the food and yeah. the drinks and everything there is really, really expensive. Well, and for us, like up... the closest one, we're looking at an hour and a half drive usually just to get there and to get home after. So Yeah. So it's about an hour and a bit for us. So it's not too much further. Sorry. It's not too much further, but uh, but it's still, it is a little bit of an imposition. Mm-hmm. But we only really, we got the theme park, uh, the annual passes, and it was great value at the time because they were on special, but... Yeah, it just it gets quite uh, get quite, gets quite pricey after a while. So we sort of go through phases, and maybe we'll keep an eye out if they come on special again in another year or two. We might uh, might get some more passes. Yeah, see how we go. I've all, I've often thought if I went, I say if when I go back to the states, I'd love to come back to the states again. Um, I want to take the, the the kids over and you know go to Disney World because mm-hmm. um, I didn't go to Disney World. I went to Disneyland in Anaheim. Yeah. But I hear Disney World is much better, so I'm going to go Disney World with the kids. I've actually never been to either of the Disney places. Okay. I haven't done a whole lot of traveling. I've been to uh, Kings Island. It's, not, it's like an hour and a half away from me. It's, it's near Cincinnati, Ohio. It's the big city. It's near. It's technically in Mason, Ohio, but most people just consider it Cincinnati. Well, people that aren't from there. But uh, I mean, there's another one, uh, okay. Six Flags Kentucky Kingdom, which is in Louisville. Is it Louisville or Louisville? I don't know how to pronounce uh, it. Well, it's written as Louisville. Louisville. Most people say Louisville. I'm not sure which is correct. Louisville. Mm-hmm. No, I'll just. I'll, I mean, you're, I'll go with your pronunciation yeah. because it's you know, your neck of the woods. <laughs> All right, most people that. around here say Louisville, so I don't. I, I've never heard okay. anybody say Louisville. Well, that's fine. And if anyone's curious, it's Brisbane, not Brisbane. I have heard some people mistakenly say Louisville. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew that wasn't what it was. But anyway, oh dear. And Melbourne, it's Melbourne, not Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm just I'm just correcting anyone who's North American that's listening because I, God, geez, you hear that a lot. You know, I, was, I, I went over to uh, to Brisbane to had a stop over in uh, Melbourne. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I know what you mean, but that's just not yeah. how we say it. Anyway, it's all good. Uh, accents. What can we do? Uh, and and Aussie's mangle English worse, probably statistically. Who knows? Anyway, all right. Good, lovely. So, um, hmm. 
If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chidgy or you can follow at Pragmatic Show to specifically see show announcements and other related stuff. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network and it also has an account at engineered underscore net and that has show announcements about the network and all the shows actually and you can check them all out at the website engineered.network. People are really loving causality. It's a solo podcast that I do. It looks at cause and effect of major events in history. So if you're a fan of this show, you might also like it. Uh, I've also launched recently another show called uh, Analytical. So if you love Pragmatic, uh, there's a pretty good chance you'll enjoy it as well. Both the shows are about 15, 30 minutes each. So they're pretty easy on the ears and... uh, uh, don't take too much of your time. Make sure you check them out. Uh, if you'd like to get in uh, v- touch with Vic, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at VicHudson1. Fantastic. And if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the website. That's the little email icon, if you're ever wondering. And that's where you'll also find the show notes uh, for this episode. If you are enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can, like one of our backers, Chris Stone, he and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find it at patreon.com slash johnchidgy, all one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's all very, very much appreciated. So a special thank you to all of our patrons, and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And as always, thank you, Vic. Thank you for having me, John. Always a pleasure. Let's go ride some coasters. All right. Getting a coaster in the 30 seconds since I asked. No? I told you it was an hour and a half away, John. God damn it. Sorry. (laughs) Where's your TARDIS? Get in your damn TARDIS. Do some some time travel. Oh, man. If only. (laughs)